Acts. We're in part 21 of our series, Walking Through the Book of Acts. We're going to get right back into it, and it is, oddly enough, kind of a recap part, so we're going to get everyone on the same page. If you are brand new with us, you're going to feel like you were here the entire time. So let's get into that. I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank with just a couple thoughts, right? So part 21 of the Empowered Church series, let's begin with this idea. Most concepts in the Bible about sharing Christianity are based on an apprenticeship model. Do you know what apprentice is, right? You guys know what an apprentice is? Now, in trades, if you're talking about plumbing, you're talking about electrical work, stuff like that, the phrase apprentice is used all the time. You know exactly what I'm talking about. In some other areas, there is you don't ever use that word. But what it means is that someone is going to follow in your footsteps and do what you do. When it comes to Christianity, we see that our leader, Jesus Christ, when he called his first people, he said an interesting phrase. He said, follow me. He didn't say, listen to me. Unfortunately, in today's modern day Christianity, there's an awful lot of talk and not a lot of action. So it's very hard to say, follow me. Usually we will mentor or disciple by saying, meet me at a coffee shop and let's go through a book. It means I want to share some information principles with you, but that is not apprenticeship. Apprenticeship means you need to see a living, breathing demonstration of how it works. If we only give biblical principles, how is a new believer supposed to know how to handle their faith every day? How are they supposed to know how to pray on the boring time? How are they supposed to know how to handle it in their marriage or with their children? How are they supposed to know how Christianity works? How do you know how to pray for somebody else? How do you know how to pray for healing? If we are only giving intellectual or academic information, it's not going to transfer as well. In other words, It is very difficult for people to understand the heart and essence of Christianity if we only use words or if we only use actions. It is in the combination of those two that the beauty begins to rise and it's transferred best. I believe that most of us want to believe that we are all very unique. We are not quite as unique as we think we are. We are actually, there's groupings of us, and I could show that by, let's say, I said, all right, how many of us are people people? And a bunch of us would raise our hand. Well, how many of us are are introverted and more shy? And they all reluctantly raise their hand, you know, right? But you realize, oh, there's a lot more like me that enjoy people, or there's a lot more like me that get recharged by alone time. If I get into a conversation about personality style of, Uh, How many are intellectual? How many are much more feelers? If I got into a five love languages conversation, right? How many of us are words of affirmation people or physical touch people? Or how many of us are giving gifts people? We'd have all these categories and groupings and you realize, oh, there's a bunch of people like me. But in between those groups, there's a lot of difference, right? This is very true in learning styles. Quick show of hands, how many of you have ever been involved in teaching? Anybody been involved in teaching? Yeah, we have a lot of teachers here. Okay, you know that whoever you're communicating that to, not everybody learns the same way, is that correct? Certain things ping 
with certain people. There are some that are very visual. They need to see it worked out on the board. There's some that are very audio. As a matter of fact, they would rather not read a book, they'd rather have an audio book. They can hear and they can picture. There's some that are very tactile, is that true? Where you kind of gotta be in the mix. You kind of gotta feel it for yourself for it to become real. Do you realize that God designs around those differences? Probably the most famous example is in the Old Testament, we would refer to the Jewish temple. Do you realize that the Jewish temple process of the high priest was designed to be an immersive experience of all five senses? For example, the priest would wash and get prepared in a rather ceremonial way, so there was a lot of action, but then he would go in his robes into the holy place carrying fresh bread. There was a smell of fresh bread to replace the old showbread. There was the shimmering of the lampstand upon the gold, which would cause a visual. There was the auditory sound of not only worship and prayer outside, but the jingling of bells on the hem of his robe, and it goes on and on. The point was to captivate everything about the high priest so he was all in. We learned that from God, and then we applied it to Bridgeway. With all the understanding of how people work, do you realize that who you're sitting with is a very broad group of people? That everybody has different learning styles, so how do we keep everyone engaged? Well, notice how services are created. For example, you come in and the first 35 minutes of the service is primarily emotional connection to God through music. It is to bypass the intellect. It is not about thinking your way through it. It's about being given words so that you can be drawn somewhere. You have leaders encouraging you. You have music helping you shift from one hemisphere to the other hemisphere in your brain. And you are now emotively connecting with God. We then make a switch, go into the teaching portion where there is storytelling, where there is academic transference, where there is giving you facts and information. Some of you, your favorite part of the service is at the beginning because you feel God. Some of you are just waiting for the message because you want the revelation of new information about the God that you love. But notice, along with all of that, while we're doing worship, did you know we have a lighting team? We don't just have an audio team, we have a lighting team. So for example, you'll notice all the lights, right, are changing as the songs go on. We have a team that is thinking through and saying, if I was to make that feeling of the song into an image, what would I do? Now, if you are not one of these people, you say ridiculous things like, what is this, a concert? The heck, why do we need to buy lights? Okay, you're clearly not a creative, all right? You have, you have no interest in that stuff. It just goes right over your head. What you need to know is there are some people in this room, they are more moved by the visual of the lighting than even the music. We have worship leader painters on stage. You guys know what I'm talking about. They're creating a visual display so that the visual people can lock onto something and it helps them understand the message and be drawn in. 
We have times where we say, stand for prayer. There's times that we'll say, turn to one another and greet. Those are all tactile interaction relational pieces. So what you are watching is we have everything from the walls lit to the certain lighting in the room and the chairs arranged in a certain way. All of that is to work with learning styles for one purpose, to allow you to be drawn into connection with your God. It's the whole reason. No, it's not a concert. No, it's not some big positive thinking presentation conference. You didn't come to a person's house. You came to God's house. What that means is everything we do is to usher in the king and prepare for the Holy Spirit. So, but we also realize that these are human beings. Y'all are coming in cold right? You had an argument in the car on the way. You had the, oh my gosh, what am I going to wear? How did I get this spot on there? I thought I got that spot out. What happened, right? I swear demons are in my clothing, you know, this kind of thing. If you've had those kind of wrestlings, all of a sudden you have to suddenly what? Get into the spirit. Our job is to set the table so you have a date with your Lord. Does that make sense? All right. Now, Knowing all those differences, there are some things that are conveyed better in one regard and worse in another. When it comes to Christianity, if you want to convey it accurately, the fill in the blank is your truth. What is it? We are called to show and tell. Show and tell. Y'all remember show and tell? Come on now, as little kids, you got show and tell. I got a story about that. I was uh, turning my mom in. Uh, she was in the last service, and I was, I was confessing in front of everyone that when I was a child and I was in kindergarten, we had a dog named Sugar. She was a golden retriever. She was awesome. Uh, but my mom wasn't a super dog person, so she wasn't allowed inside. She had two litters of puppies. The first one was eight. The second one was ten. So we had ten puppies. They weren't allowed inside until my mom went to work. <laughs> and they would all crowd around the door in the garage and they'd all breathe <laughs> underneath the door waiting for us and the minute mom's car was out of sight we're like bring them in Whoa! and they would just all run everywhere and pee it was awesome okay so it was show and tell day and I was like mom I want to bring all 10 all 10 puppies and she said no and I've been angry ever since we can move on now. <laughs> All right, go ahead and take out your Bibles. We're in Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now, last time we were on this series and we were together, we've really been walking through this series in the book of Acts talking about how the early Christian church began. How did it go from obscurity to world dominant in 300 years? How did Jesus hand off the ministry to his people? And we've been learning that it was kind of ups and downs. It was good and bad. There was persecution. There were signs, wonders, and miracles. There was good guys and bad guys. There were the apostles, and there's this guy named Peter who's kind of like the big dog of the big dogs, and he was doing ministry one day, and he gets this crazy vision from God. A vision is that you are having a dream, but you're awake. So he sees like this sheet come down from heaven. It's got animals on it. And this voice says, eat them all. And he's like, absolutely not. That violates kosher laws that Jews have been following for thousands of years. There's no way I'm doing that. Never have, never will. The voice comes back, says, do not call unclean what God has called clean. He's like, what the heck does that mean? 
all of a sudden, ding dong, somebody's at the door. He looks out the window, ah, oh, shoot, those are Gentiles, right? Jews and Gentiles do not get along. There is, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but there was all these reasons why Jews couldn't hang out with Gentiles. Gentiles ate the wrong food, they ritually did things that were unclean, and if you hung out with them or went into their house, it would make you messed up to go to temple. So for all those reasons, there was a big emotional racial gap that Jews didn't like Gentiles, Gentiles didn't like Jews. So he looks out the window, boom, here's a bunch of Gentiles. He's like, oh, now they're going to want something from me, right? All of a sudden, the voice from the Holy Spirit's like, go, I brought them. All right, fine. Hey, what's up? Answers the door. They're like, our boss had this really weird experience. Like this angel came to him and it's like, you got to go find Peter. So we're here. Hi, would you like to come to our house? He's like, ah. No, but God told me I had to. Okay, yeah, let's go. Next day, they go to the house. It's packed. They open up the door. They're like, Peter, man, we've been waiting for you. You, the angel said, have a message that's going to save us. So bring it, man. What do you got? Peter's like, I have the gospel. Okay. He starts preaching. Boom. They have a Gentile Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. They're speaking in tongues. It's just crazy, amazing, miraculous moment. And Peter has a mind blow at that time. And he realizes, oh my gosh, they're now family. And the church has never been the same. After he gets done with that ministry, he goes back home to Jerusalem, and nobody's happy about it. You see, before he could get home, the rumor mill went back and said, oh, our leader was just hanging out with Gentiles, and that's a big no-no. So he has to give an account for why the heck he would do that. That's where we pick up the story. Everybody together? All right, let's do this. Acts chapter 11, verse 1, let's do it. Now, the apostles and the brothers, that's the Jewish Christians who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles, non-Jews, had also received the word of God. So when Peter came back home to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, how dare you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Okay, let's pause. What the heck is a circumcision party? Sounds like the worst party in the world. <laughs> right? Imagine you got like an invitation, come to my circumcision party. Uh, pass, right? <laughs> No, thanks. And he's like, no, not like that. Like a, like a party of a group of, oh, well, I'm a Republican. I'm not, a, I'm a Democrat. Well, I'm a, a circumcision party. For, you're like, is that like the Green Party? Like what? That's a weird party. Okay. Why are we talking about circumcision? That's a weird name, right? Okay. Well, it's very, very simple. When God established the Hebrew people to be the chosen people through Abraham, he said, it's one thing for everyone to try to trust you what's going on in your mind and your heart. What I want is a physical action that marks you out as distinct. He then instituted circumcision for all males. That was not commonly done in the world at that time. So it was a separator and they could say, oh, are you a Jew? And there was proof. Now, I have to admit, it is the most hidden proof ever, 
right? I mean, you still gotta ask the dude, right? It's not like it's on his license or anything. How would you even know that, right? But once again, it was God's plan. So what it began to say was, the circumcised were the Jews, anyone not were non-Jews. So it became kind of a name that they carried to say, we're the special ones. The circumcision party in the early Christian church were a bit of an oddity. They were Jewish believers who couldn't let go of the other covenant. They couldn't let go of the past. They wanted to be combo Christians. They wanted all Judaism and all of Christianity. They wanted the old covenant and the new covenant. But the problem is those two don't work together. And here's why. You see, the old covenant or the old way that Judaism was initially established was a system of performance to connect with your God. You would do certain things or not do certain things, and that would allow you to connect with God. Now, we look at it backwards and we're like, oh, that's a terrible system. Hold on. There could have been no system. You understand what I'm talking about? It was a beautiful system. How cool that God worked with our sin and said, I still want to be with you and I'm gonna give you a way to connect with me. That is beautiful. But here's the thing. When Jesus came, he fulfilled that system. So much so that he started a new system. And it was very different. All of a sudden, Jesus came in and what the old system could never do was finish the sin process. It could never get rid of it. It could cover it, but it couldn't get rid of it. Jesus died for all the sins of the world and got rid of that problem. In order to make it permanent, he took the very code that accused people of their sin, put it to the cross, nailed it, and got rid of it. In order to make us even more clean, he then said, you are going to symbolically die with me, that's what baptism does, and be raised again, and you will become a child of God, not a child born of flesh, but a child born of spirit. You are now sons and daughters of God. Now the Bible says because of everything Jesus did, you are in a perpetual state of grace. And Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, when you got that kind of freedom, that type of cleansing, you all of a sudden shift from a master-slave role to a father-child role. But when you become that, how do you ever go back? You see, these folks wanted to cover all their bases. They were like, no, 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 in order to get what, you, what Jesus has, you gotta become a full Jew, you gotta go through all this process, handle all the stuff, do everything right, then you can get some grace. But hold on, if you have to earn grace, is it grace? Ah. So, this group was slightly off, and they caused a lot of problems for the early Christian church. They were believers in their minds, but they couldn't see it any other way. All right, there's one thing that's really important for us to learn from this. Peter just finishes doing ministry with a group of people. They get saved radically, and he comes home and gets heat for it. What the heck? They're, how dare you minister to those people? 
hold on a second. What are you talking about? What do you mean, how dare I? Is it not our job to minister to everybody, right? Yeah, but not them. Now let's make it personal. It's very hard to praise God for a movement when you're too busy criticizing and complaining about it. You understand what I'm talking about? There are some groups of people that come into church and they're afraid they're going to be judged because they're going to be judged. Should the church, God's house, not be the one safe place that they could come and hear about his love? How in the world do we get into the mindset that we've been saved so long we're now critiquing who can and cannot sit next to us in church? That's weird. That's not right. Jesus got the exact same heat. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus, right? You guys remember this? Luke chapter 19. Jesus is super popular. Everybody's surrounding him. He's doing ministry walking down the road. And, and he was going to stop at an area, and everybody was kind of a little herd around him. Well, there's this guy who really wanted to hear Jesus. Problem is, he was short. Now, if the Bible calls a Jewish man short, you are short. Because <laughs> first of all, the ancient world, they were shorter. Jews were even shorter. So a shorter Jew is really short. This guy's like super short, right? So he's like, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And he's trying to jump over everybody. He can't see anything, right? So he's like, ah, I have an idea. Climb a tree. So he gets all Mowgli-like, right? And he's like, do, 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 do. And he climbs up this little sycamore tree, and he's watching Jesus. All of a sudden, as Jesus is preaching, Jesus' eyes lock with him. He's like, uh-oh, right? Because you know you're trying to just observe, and then they're looking at you. You're like, ah! And look away. <laughs> Don't make eye contact. And sure enough, he's like, Zacchaeus. He's like, yes. He goes, I'm having dinner with you tonight. He's like, you are? Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he's like, I got to get ready. Ah! And he runs down the tree. And he's got to go fix the pillows, you know, and do all that stuff. Like, you know, get everything ready for dinner, invite all his friends. Jesus goes over to his house. And everybody gives him heat. Dude, I can't believe you went to that guy's house. Can't believe you were there. You know who that guy is. So here's who that guy is. He's a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were Jews that worked for the Roman government. So the other Jews called them traitors, right? How dare you work for the enemy, right? He was not a normal tax collector. The Bible says he was a chief tax collector. So he was like the king of the bad guys. And the reason why they were known as bad guys is because the Jewish people couldn't fully understand Rome's tax code, kind of like today, <laughs> right? So they had people that would help interpret the tax code, but the problem was those guys worked for the government. So they were also able to excise extra tax without the other people knowing. They knew something was off, but they couldn't tell you why. So they would pad their own pockets and get more wealthy. So everyone not only knew them as traitors, but they knew them as thieves. This guy was super famous and everyone was like, I can't believe you went to his house and hung out with him and his friends. Quick question, why in the world do you think Jesus came? All right, let's talk about the church. I can't believe those people are coming to church. Hold on, what do you think we're doing here? What, are we a country club? Or are we here that people might know the good news of Jesus Christ? Tell me, where else 
would you ever want someone to be than in a place where they could hear the gospel? Why in the world would you have some other thought than, wow, how beautiful they're here? You understand what I'm talking about? If we're going to really be the church and do what the church is supposed to do, we're going to do what Jesus did. And if we're going to do that, it's going to make all of us very uncomfortable. Yeah? Guess what the point is? You're supposed to be uncomfortable. So we are supposed to be inviting our friends and family that do not feel like they would automatically be judged, but they would be able to go and belong here. You understand what I'm talking about? This is where God takes us. But notice not everyone is in that mindset. And sometimes that resistance comes from a good place. Well, there's got to be accountability. And here's who the people that concern me are. The people that just don't like it because they can't see how it would fit. And they start using phrases like, church has gone liberal. That's always the attack. Anytime there's something about reaching out and involving other people that are not all cleaned up yet. Church has gone liberal. Has it gone liberal? They're just being Christians. You understand what I'm talking about? We need to always be prepared as new wineskins to understand God may do, be doing movements in areas of our society that start integrating us and we can actually be salt and light. Peter did that, instantly got criticized, and now he has to give a reason for why. That's where we pick up the story. Pick it up in verse four. So Peter began and explained it to them in order. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and I was in a trance, and I saw a vision, something like this great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. And I was looking at it closely, and I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill, and eat it all. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But then the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, this happened to me three times, and then, boom, it was all gone. Okay, let's pause for a moment. You know what I think is really powerful about Peter doing this? Is the maturity of his response. There are some personalities and immature people like me that have a really hard time when someone comes and challenges me and attacks me for something I know is right. You all know what I'm talking about? Because here's what Peter could have done. How dare you be talking to Gentile? He could have just said, hold on a second. I'm a stinking apostle. I know, I was walking with Jesus. You're all newbies. What do you know? And you're gonna come after me. I'm doing what I saw my master do. Now, I may not be comfortable in it. And he could have just capped an attitude. But he didn't. Why? Because he was smart enough to remember he used to be just as resistant as they were. And he slowed the roll and began to explain it with a very kind attitude to take them from where they were having trouble to get them to where they needed to be in understanding. That type of wisdom and maturity and leadership is incredible. So he begins to tell them the rest of the story. He's like, man, behold, at that exact moment after I had this really weird vision, three men arrived at the house in which I was staying, right? They had been sent to me from Caesarea. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them, didn't matter if they were Gentiles or not. Now, these six brothers, these six Jewish guys, 
that see things like you do and I did. We all went together. They accompanied me. We entered this man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and said, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter, and he's going to declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Okay, let's pause for a moment. I want you to notice how many times Peter says, this was not my idea. I didn't want any part of it. You guys, I had a weird vision. What do you want me to do with that? And then right after that, it's confirmed, right? Now all of a sudden these guys show up. The Holy Spirit says you need to go with them. Are you telling me that I'm supposed to say no to God? Then I show up, right? And I'm like, okay, this is not where I wanna be. I'm totally outside of my comfort zone. All right, God, I'm just trying to be faithful here. And then things got even weirder. Pick it up in verse 15. As I began to preach, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he had with us at Pentecost in the beginning. And then I remembered what Jesus said. He said, John baptized with water, but you will all be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if then God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit in his presence to them, just like he gave to us Jews when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? Here's this question. What do you want me to do? I didn't come up with this idea. Dude, I got six guys right here. They're witnesses, man. None of us knew what was going to go on. We got drug into this thing. But once we realized it was God, what opportunity do we have to do otherwise? Man, I want to be where God is, don't you? I love this next line. Look at the next line. When they heard these things, they fell silent. Why? Because, and I need you to appreciate the tension in the room. Why? Because here's what they just heard. They weren't there. Hey, I found out that one of my leaders at church, one of my key leaders, started doing some really weird ministry, which I think is off. I think it's not appropriate. I think it sounds funky. And as a matter of fact, now I'm hearing him say things that I feel like he's indicating Gentiles are now part of the church. They're our brothers and sisters. We're now all one. I'm just telling you right now, I trust Peter because he's a good guy, but I am telling you that goes against thousands of years of tradition. And I don't know if I can just allow my leader to change thousands of years of tradition because he had an experience. Do you understand the weight of what they're wrestling with? And this is the hinge point, because if they would have rejected his word and shut the Gentiles out, they would have all lost out on what God was doing, and he would have had to go around them and start with new people. If we are not in step with the Spirit, he's going to find someone who is. But look at the next line, after they considered it, and they glorified God, saying, well then, to the Gentiles, God clearly has granted repentance that leads to life. I guess they're in. I guess they're family. In that moment, church changed. There was no longer two movements. There was just one. It was not Jews versus Gentiles. It was just Christians. And now you see health. In that moment, how could they possibly believe this? They didn't have it happen to them. But they heard a testimony from someone they trusted. 
You guys, the power of a testimony is that God cannot do the same experience with everybody. What he's going to do in your marriage, he's not doing in mine. What he's doing in your single life, he's not doing in mine. What he's doing with your kids is not what he's doing in mine. We have different experiences, but it doesn't mean God shouldn't get credit or we shouldn't all learn about it. The only way that's ever going to happen is if we tell our story. You got to talk about what's going on in your life. How is God blessing you at school? How is God blessing you with your internal challenges? How is God handling your mental health stuff? How is God handling your healing? If you begin to talk about it, I share the experience even though I wasn't there. And that's how we can collectively grow in the Lord. If we're all little individual silos, you all have to grow only with what you've experienced. To me, that's not enough. God doesn't just give miracles to a church for that individual. I think he gives that experience for all of us to share. I think when we find out about a radical healing, it makes us feel like maybe he could do it for us and our faith is built up. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's why testimony is so important. Please keep sharing your story. We're gonna say it over and over and over. The only way that the church grew was people verbally communicated the glory of God. We need to keep doing that, right? Okay, so let's jump back to it. The author, Luke, who wrote this book, he then is like, man, that was a cool story, right? And we're like, yeah, that was awesome. And he's like, hold on. The Holy Spirit was even up to bigger stuff. And he takes us back and gives us a 30,000-foot view of the movement of the Christian church in the early days. Take a look at this, verse 19. Now, those who were in the past scattered because of the Jerusalem persecution that arose over Stephen, the first Christian martyr who was stoned, all those Christians that spilled out of Jerusalem, out into the world, some of those people traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, and they spoke the word of God to nobody except the Jews. Their assignment was to minister to the Jewish people only. Well, at the same time, verse 20, there were some of them that scattered, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they came to Antioch, they spoke to the Greeks as well, preaching the Lord Jesus. And collectively, the hand of the Lord was upon them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. What's his point? I think his point is, wow, the Holy Spirit's good at his job. And he's doing mighty things. If you look at it collectively, it's kind of a big deal. I remember back in 1997, 98, I was at a leadership thing and I got to hear this one leader named Leith Anderson. He was a pastor and leader of leaders guy. He was out of Minnesota. He'd come out here and was doing a conference and we got a chance to listen to his talk. And he said this back then, we're talking 97 numbers. He said, you know, we get so amazed by the story of Pentecost. Holy Spirit moves, 3,000 people get saved that day. We're like, man, that is a revival. Man, you want to talk about a church going from 120 to 3,120 in one day. That's pretty incredible. And we're all amazed by that. He said, do you realize worldwide we have a Pentecost a minute? Now, this is 97 numbers. 3,000 people are getting saved to Christianity every minute across the planet. 
He's like, what we call a huge deal is merely a minute-by-minute reality. Okay, how in the world are we supposed to glorify God if nobody knows that? If nobody knows what the Holy Spirit is doing big picture? Now, here's the place where it involves us. How many churches in the greater Sacramento region that are Christian churches are doing great things for God and crushing it for the kingdom? How many of them are out there that are not called Bridgeway? Tons. Do we not have a plethora of amazing churches in this area? Yes, we do. Why are they different than us? Because they're supposed to be. The job is not competition. Notice, some went to the Jews, some went to the Gentiles, but the Holy Spirit was orchestrating the whole thing. There are some churches that are more evangelistic, some that are more discipleship, some that are a little bit more focused on this group, some that are more focused on this group. We should be able to celebrate each other's wins because it's a kingdom win, not be bothered or constantly analyzing and criticizing one another's assignment. What I'm trying to tell you is diversity is the point, unity is the necessity, and the Holy Spirit is discipling the whole thing. All I'm saying is, wow, God is good at what he does. Our job is to stay in our lane and do what we're supposed to do. All right? Pick it up in verse 22. He's like, now, this movement around the world, like especially with the non-Jews, man, it was going crazy. The report of this, verse 22, came to the ears of the big dogs in Jerusalem. So they sent one of their best guys, Barnabas, to this new movement in Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. In other words, it was blowing up, and he knew darn well somebody's got to lead this movement. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, his buddy. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Okay. Here's what you did not realize you just read. History shows us that that story marks the moment that the hub of Christianity moved out of Israel to Antioch. It moved out of a primarily Jewish environment to an international environment, and that became the new hub moving forward. This is critical. Why? Because what God was doing through the Gentile people coming to Christ was so big, it was about to take over the world. The only reason churches like us exist that are predominantly Gentile is because of this movement right here. We would never be included if it stayed in Jerusalem. There would still be so much resistance, it would slow it all down. God moved the hub to Antioch. And it was going so incredible that they had to have good leadership. Barnabas is like, dude, I know the perfect guy. There's this guy named Saul who we call Paul, right? And this guy, he's been called to the non-Jews. 
Nobody's more intense than this guy. Nobody's a better theologian than this guy. I need him with me. I'll be encouragement guy. I'll be charismatic guy. He can be the hardcore one. And together for a year, they lit that place up. They put some solid stability to it. They trained the people up. And that's where the church began to flourish. And it was such a big deal. Hmm. But check this out. Verse 27. Oh, wait, before we get there, let me just highlight one thing. It says they first were called Christians there. You're like, well, I thought they were always called Christians. Nope. They were called followers of the way. That takes too long to say. (laughs) And what we find out tradition-wise is that Christian, that term, was originally a slur. It was a slam against Christians. Why? Because non-religious people are like, have you seen those freaks? You're like, which freaks? (laughs) There's a lot of freaks. You're like, no, no, no. Those people are like, oh, I'm into Jesus. I'm into Jesus. Christ is a big deal. Oh, look at me. I'm a little baby Christ. Oh, look at me. I'm a copycat, right? You remember those people? Yeah, those Christians? Because Christian means mimic, mimic of Christ. When the Christians found out about it, they're like, what'd you call me? I said, I called you a copycat of Jesus Christ. And they're like, I like it. <laughs> you have something there. And they said, I cannot imagine a more honoring name than being a little copycat of my hero. Okay, we're Christians. And it's stuck. And it's been that way ever since. Pick it up in verse 27. Now, sometime later, maybe a year or so more, Now, in these days, a group of prophets, that means that was their title, their role, their office in the church. They came down from Jerusalem, the mother church originally, to Antioch, the new church plant that was exploding with non-Jews. And one of them named Agabus, who clearly was not loved by his parents because they named him Agabus, (laughs) stood up and foretold by the Holy Spirit that there would be coming in the future a great famine all over the world. Now, notice there's a parentheses in your Bible. When Luke wrote this down, all this stuff was old news. And he was able to cap and go, oh, by the way, that did take place. It took place during the reign of Claudius of Rome. And that's a very specific time frame. So we know exactly when it happened. And history shows, yes, there was a famine. But that was called out before it ever occurred by the Holy Spirit. All right, going back into time, here we go again, verse 29. So the leadership of Antioch, the disciples, determined that every one of these new church plant baby Christians, non-Jews, would give something to the church according to its ability to send relief to the brothers living in Jerusalem. And so they did so. And they got a bunch of money and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. First of all, is prophecy really a thing? Yeah, it is. Prophecy means that you speak for God. It doesn't matter whether you're speaking about the future, you're speaking about now, or you're speaking about the past. To God, it's all the same thing. Does God really know the future? Sure does. As a matter of fact, he not only knows it, he's already prepared for it, right? Nothing's going to ever catch him off guard. Well, we could kind of read this story and we can go, wow, that's a cool story. Like he predicted the future and that's crazy. And man, how nice that this church like helped, helped everybody out. 
that's really cool. No, 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 I think it's bigger than that. And here's why. I want you to start entering into the emotions of what's going on. And I'll tell you, because I'm in leadership in church for so long, I feel this may be pretty raw, but here's what I think was happening. Imagine you're in the church in Jerusalem. You guys were the OGs. You're the original, yeah? I mean, you, were the, you got the apostles, right? And this is where it all started. I mean, you guys had Jesus. And it was crazy, and everything exploded there, and things were really cool for a while. But then all this persecution hit, and your church just shrank to about one-tenth of the size that it was before. You used to be the hot spot, but now it's just hard ministry. You're slogging it out every day. As a matter of fact, the persecution's getting so bad, we're going to find out in the next coming stories, some of them are about to be murdered. It's getting terrible. Being in Jerusalem is hard. Not only that, when you lost your whole church, everyone was already poor. Now all your money went out the door. You got nothing. But interestingly enough, this brand new church plant that's out in Antioch, that's not Jewish, well, they seem to have all the signs and wonders and all the numbers, and they're growing like crazy, and, and boy, something's going well. Looks like the hand of God is upon them, and boy, they all happen to be wealthy and seems to work out good for them. You think that's not going to cause jealousy? And I think by the power of the Holy Spirit, this new leadership team in Antioch said, this is our shot. This is our shot to keep our church one and not let it splinter into two. I don't want a Jewish church and a Gentile church. I just want a church. So what did they do? Guys, we're gonna take an offering right now. Dude, what do you mean we're taking off? For what? Because a famine's coming. What do you mean a famine's coming? Either it's here or it's not. No, no, no. God gave us a heads up. Okay, what are you saying? We're giving an offering to who? The back home church. Remember Mothership? Remember the home base? They're going to be really struggling because when a worldwide thing hits, the poor get hit worse than the rich. Is that not true? Okay. Well, they're going to get hit really hard. And you know what? I'm not telling you this is mandatory. What I'm telling you is this is our chance to make that church tell we remember you. We got your back, right? So I want to take an offering right now. They went, okay, great. They gathered together a whole bunch of money and sent it. Let me tell you this. The Jerusalem church is going to have a very hard time feeling competition with their brothers and sisters that just sacrificially gave to them. I think this was one of the most brilliant moves in the Bible by leadership. They kept the church one. All I'm telling you is that it's in times of need that God works the most. So let me close out with that thought. I would tell you this. Most of us need to need more. And here's why. It's a bonding agent. If you do not need or you cannot fulfill the need of another person, you will remain emotionally aloof. What is so bonding about parents and children? Need. First portion of life, parents take care of kids. Later portion of life, you take care of parents. It is in the need that the bond remains. 
There are some of us who are too proud to ever express our needs. We always want to be the person that helps somebody else. Why? Because then they kind of owe us and it makes us feel good. We don't like to be in need because it makes us feel like we couldn't cut it. And we don't want to admit anything like that. Here's my suggestion to you. As long as that is you, other people do not feel emotionally invested in you. Just telling you. I mean, yeah, you can always still be the one that gives to everybody else, but nobody feels connected to you. And I think that matters. Community happens in need. I would suggest to you that there's some of us as well that have always been needy. That's all you, we're always needy, right? Problem is, you've been so needy, you're focused so much on yourself, you've never been able to invest in anybody else. And that's kept your eyes off them. We need a flip. Now you need to be focusing on, you may not have a lot to give, but you got something to give. And when you start caring for other people, it begins to alleviate some of the weight upon your own heart. You guys, so many of our prayer requests are, God, please don't let me need, right? God, please don't let me need. I don't want to rely on my neighbor. As long as we are individual silos, there will never be community in the church. It's in the difficulty. Did you see the difficulty? A famine's coming. What does God do with it? Turns it into one of the most amazing opportunities ever for the church to bond because it was navigated well. Bad times are going to come. There are some things that are gonna happen in your life that Satan meant for evil, but what does God do? He means it for good. We were talking earlier in worship that God will make use of all of it. I just wanna be that voice again encouraging you. God didn't suddenly come upon your problem. He knew it was coming, he prepared for it, and he has a plan. As a child of God, you will never be abandoned. You will never be left behind. It doesn't mean that everything gets fixed the way you want it to get fixed. It just means God won't let it be a waste. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close in prayer. Could I have the prayer team come on up here? Let's just wrap this whole thing up by thanking the Lord. Heavenly Father, we praise you. And we just want to say that in this moment, we want to praise you in the difficulty and in the good. If we're doing amazing, Lord, be praised. That was all because of you. If we're struggling, Lord, you're in it. You're in it with us. You're holding our hand. You're walking us through this, and you're finding things to be able to make this amazing. So, Lord, we want to just say you're a great leader. You're a great king. You're an amazing dad. We want to tell you, would you be praised and glorified? Would you anoint the altar now as the prayer team comes? Would you allow us to continue to have breakthrough where we need to have breakthrough, have patience where we need to have patience, that God, that you would allow us to need one another and to be able to invest in one another, that this might be a family of God and not a bunch of strangers for God. Lord, we give you glory and praise for every bit of it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.